very much. Um, but uh, so it's good to have all of you back with us. We are excited to hear about how God used you on the trip there in the Dominican to work with the Lanes. Uh, Mellon and West Lane have been missionaries long time down in that region of the world, Haiti and now the Dominican Republic. And uh, so we're looking forward to that report. That'll probably happen next Sunday night. We're looking forward to showing some pictures and some testimonies from some of the folks. I uh, heard uh, one of their last evenings there, some of them ate goat. So uh, there's that. Maybe we'll hear more about that. And uh, I won't. There's a lot of exciting things. I can't share them all. But uh, they were able to be a great help to the lanes, and we are excited excited to hear about that. So this morning, I, uh, I mean, I knew it was supposed to snow on and off for a couple of days. And uh, this morning, though, I'm just in the spring mindset. And uh, I did not, my truck has a remote start. And so in the winter, I'll normally start heat it up a little bit before I go out there. Well, today I didn't do that because I was in the spring mindset. And uh, so I opened the door to go outside and... I thought, wow, I didn't wear a coat, you know, so no coat. The truck wasn't running. I got into the truck, started it up, you know, and it, it started slow like it does when it's cold, you know, won't, won't, and then it started. And I put it in reverse, and the truck didn't move. And uh, the front tires, I had parked it yesterday in a spot in our driveway where there's some water from the melting and rain and stuff, and it had frozen overnight. So the front of the truck was frozen in the mud and uh, water, now ice, so, you know, I had to give a little gas. It came out okay, but spring, it's here in Michigan, <laughs> full force. And uh, thank you for braving the parking lot to get into the building. Hopefully we have nobody falling. Mr. Neuker, I'm thinking of you. Uh, he had a spill this winter, so watch your step as you go back out this afternoon. I'm looking forward to tonight as well. We'll continue in our series. We just started it last Sunday night about... Um, rewards, heavenly rewards, and uh, how God is paying close attention uh, to the sacrifices and the service and the obedience of his people uh, during our lives in this lifetime. There are rewards uh, eternal in nature beyond really our comprehension. We're going to be getting into some of those things tonight. Uh, last week, we laid the foundation for it. Tonight, we'll uh, continue, continue on in our series, so join us for that as well. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be reading from. I want to ask the question this morning, what is the purpose for Trinity Baptist Church? What is the point? Uh, what is the purpose? Why do we assemble? And we assemble, of course, the Lord tells us to assemble. We might look into that more in the weeks to come. But what's the point? Uh, what should be my desire for Trinity Baptist Church as a whole? What should be your desire as a member of this congregation? What should your desire be for Trinity Baptist Church? Uh, I, I grew up in church. Um, I don't remember the first time I ever attended a church because I was a baby, I suppose. You know, my mom and dad brought me in. And, and then, you know, every time the doors were open, whether it was Sunday school or Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night, it was just a part of my life growing up, um, but still this is a very important question to answer. What is God's desire for his church? And, um, and his desire ought to be our desire as well. So we're going to see, uh, look at the text, Ephesians chapter 4, look in verse 7. I'll read down through verse number 12. We're going to find God's purpose for his church. Verse 7 says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he, Christ, ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Look at verse 11 and 12 specifically. And he gave some. So when Christ ascended the right hand of the Father, he gave something. He gave gifts. What are they? What were they? He says apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. For what 
purpose. Look at verse 12. What's the point? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. What is the point of Trinity Baptist Church? What should be at the core of our uh, hearts, or what should our heart be, be for church? And we'll answer that this morning. Let's pray. Father, help us, I pray, as we look at your word, uh, not just today. We've been looking at different portions of scripture about what it is to be a church member. And um, this morning now and here in Ephesians, what your desire is for the membership, for the church, for each one of us individually, for us corporately. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring these truths together in our hearts. And I pray that we as a church would know, would have a clear um, desire, hunger, longing for what you desire for us as a church. And Father, I pray that this would be true in our lives. I pray that this would be true for us individually, for us corporately. And I pray that you would teach us by your spirit this morning. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So what are the what are the reasons given here for apostles and some prophets and some evangelists? You see it in verse 11 and some pastors and teachers. Um, these gifts of the prophets and apostles are no longer in function today, but we still have evangelists. We still have pastors and teachers. And he tells us in verse number 12, it's for the perfecting of the saints. And that's really what I want to look at this morning. It's for the perfecting of the saints. What does that mean, per perfecting? That'd be an awfully challenging responsibility for a pastor to have perfect church members, wouldn't it? Don't you think? Not, you don't think it'd be a problem? Not a hard, not a difficulty at all? Shouldn't be a problem. Um, but he, perfect, what does he mean there? The word perfect means mending or maturing or even equipping of the saints. He talks about all those things in verse number 12. And now, God isn't asking for sinless perfection. He knows us better than that. He knows our flesh. He knows that we're not going to be without sin until we're with him someday in heaven for all of eternity. But he is asking and he is desiring that, his, that members of the church would be equipped, that they would be able to serve him, the work of the ministry. And he is asking that we would grow that we would mature, that we'd grow up, uh, that we wouldn't do the same things that we've always done, that we would overcome, that we'd be overcomers in our, in our walk with him. So what does God want for his church? That's the question. And I'm going to give you three thoughts this morning. Number one, God wants his church to be mature. He wants there to be mature, maturing that takes place. Look at verse number 12, the beginning part. He says, for the perfecting of the saints, the perfecting of the saints. So he, he gave evangelists, Jesus gave evangelists, and he gave pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. And that word perfecting again means maturing or uniting. And the Bible is telling us that God is actively working to make us mature. Now, how does God grow us? How does he grow us? I mean, um, my children keep growing. They keep getting taller, stronger, faster. You know, it uh, won't be long when the, the there's not so much mud in the yard where one of them is going to say, Dad, I'll race you to the whatever. I mean, Tori did this not long ago in a parking lot, you know, and I waited until she was looking the other way. And then I took off running as fast as I could for the truck and nearly ran into the back of my own truck, you know, but I won. Okay. Um, but uh, they keep getting older and stronger and faster and smarter and all those sorts of things. They drink a lot of milk, okay, and uh, other things. They eat a lot of other things. But how does God grow us as his children? And the Bible gives us several different ways. One way that God brings us to maturity is through his spirit, through his spirit. In Galatians 3 and verse 2, the Bible says, This only what I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? 
And the answer is no, we're not made perfect by our flesh. It's the Holy Spirit of God that keeps working in us every day. Aren't you thankful for the Holy Spirit? Aren't you? And he works in our spouse. Uh, He works in our children, uh, our children who are saved. He works in each other. The Holy Spirit lives inside of each one of us who are saved. I am so thankful for him. Uh, He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. We do grieve him sometimes. We hurt him, but he is not uh, scared away. He continues to faithfully love us and lead us and guide us. And we're made perfect. We're sanctified by the Spirit. Um, Another way the Bible teaches us that God grows us and matures us is through trials. Through trials. And we've studied this out in years past. But in James chapter 1 and verse 2, the Bible says, My brethren... Count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations or diverse trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect, that's mature, and entire, wanting nothing. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 10, the Bible says the same thing in different words. It says, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect. Same word, establish. He goes on, strengthen, settle you. And so God is actively working in our lives to grow us up, to mature us. Sometimes I will intentionally give my children tasks that are difficult because I want them to be stretched. I want them to have to stop and think. I don't give them the same tasks. Now, some of them are the same, but as they get older, I give them new responsibilities. Um, Ian's going to be 15 here in April. So driver's education is coming to the Ferguson home. You know, I mean, this is uh, this is a whole new world, you know, and um, have I prepared him for that? Um. So we as parents sometimes have a tendency, and it is our role as parents to protect our children, but we also are training them up to be adults, to be functioning adults in society, to be a help to society, to be servants of the Lord for those who are saved. And, and God, our Father, he uses trials in our lives to grow us and to mature us. Another way the Bible tells us that God grows us is through his word. And by the way, there are times in our lives where we can we can grow and mature by taking God at his word. And we don't have to learn the hard way. But then there are other times where God, knowing us, each one of us intimately, he knows, Okay, I've taught I've taught them the truth. They know the truth intellectually. They have a knowledge of the truth, but they need to experience this. And uh, one of the things that grows us is experiencing God's mercy in our lives. And, uh, and so even in personal failure, but we have his word. First Peter 2 and verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, there's that word again, mature, truly furnished unto all good works. We were talking about good works, serving the Lord on Sunday nights. The word of God, it grows us, it equips us to serve the Lord. So God wants his church to be mature And he's bringing us to maturity through his spirit and through trials and through his word. And one of the ways that God brings us to maturity is through godly leadership. According to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, God has given pastors and he's given teachers. I love love our Sunday school teachers. Um, They study the word of God. They teach the word of God. Every time the word of God is opened and you speak it and you teach it, it challenges me, it convicts me, it encourages me. I mean, every time. And I would imagine if I sat in on a 
some of the um, uh, junior age Sunday school. I imagine if I went out to junior church right now and sat in junior church with those young people and heard Pastor Phelps teach the word of God to children, my heart would be encouraged and convicted by the word of God as an adult. So it is the word of God, but I, I, I love when the word of God is taught and preached. And so he's telling us in, this, in the flow of this passage, he's saying that Christ in verse 11 gave apostles and prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting, for the maturing of the saints. And the Holy Spirit is maturing and he's working. Our Heavenly Father is bringing tests and trials. He is into our lives to mature us. And the primary area pastors are involved in bringing maturity and mending into the life of church members is through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Look all the way back to verse 11. Who is the one who gave these gifts to the church? Who gave apostles and prophets and pastors and evangelists and teachers? Who gave these gifts to the church? The Lord Jesus Christ did. God gave them to the church. And our Heavenly Father, He's working in our lives this way. He's giving us these, He's given us these gifts. And why did He give these gifts? Well, He gave all of these gifts to the church for to make the church mature. And Christ has given pastors to the church as gifts for the purpose of maturing and equipping the saints. So my God-given responsibility, and sometimes I'm asked, Pastor, what is what do you want to see? What do you want? What do you want to accomplish? Uh, uh, what do you want to see accomplished in Trinity Baptist Church? And I've been asked that over the years from time to time. Well, what is it that I long for? And really, I've found when I begin to be asked that question, I begin to look to the Word of God to what what is Lord? What do you long for? What do you tell me you want to see accomplished in your church? I mean, what is my vision for the church? What is what is your vision for Trinity Baptist Church? What is that you want to see accomplished? And ultimately, what you want to see accomplished and what I want to see accomplished ought to coincide and ought to be in submission and subjection to what our Heavenly Father wants accomplished in His church. And what uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, wants accomplished in His church. And so God has really given me and the pastors of Trinity Baptist Church, the responsibility of mending and bringing to maturity and completeness and full-grown individuals in Christ and His Word. So my goal is to see God's people grow and mature in their walk with the Lord. That's my goal. Making disciples would be another way to put it. To make disciples. Not only to see people saved, but then to see them grow in their love for the Lord and their, their knowledge of who God is. And the more that we understand how much God loves us and the way that he loves us, that each one of your you, your love for him would grow each day more and more. And as you go through the trials that God brings into your lives, and as the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you is working and teaching in you in your life, and as the word of God is taught to you, that God would bring you to maturity. And as we're looking at in our Sunday evening series, that someday each one of you who are saved, when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, that you would hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That is my desire. That is my desire. I don't find in the word of God that the success of a pastor is determined by how, how big the church he pastors is. I believe there are pastors who have pastored churches of 500 people, but who have not been successful pastors. I believe there are pastors who have pastored churches of 80 people and who are very successful pastors. But likewise, pastoring a church of 50 people does not make a pastor a success either. And a pastor who pastors a church of 500 or 1,000 people, just because he has a, num- a larger number of people doesn't mean he's going to be a failure either. Okay. So what is it that makes a pastor a success? I don't find in Scripture that uh, I'm supposed to try to pastor a church that's the biggest church in that town or in that county. That, that isn't what the Bible leads me to do. 
I remember reading years ago um, a book about Charles Spurgeon, who pastored over in the United Kingdom many years ago. And a young pastor came to Charles Spurgeon and he said, I have a complaint. He said, my congregation is too small. That pastor told Charles Spurgeon. And Dr. Spurgeon responded, he said, well, perhaps they are as large as you'd like to give an account for on the day of judgment, end quote. <laughs> so my responsibility as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, as a teacher of the word of God, is not to just put on a good program. That isn't the goal. Although I like things run well, and they ought to be run decently and in order. The responsibility that I have to you is not to provide the greatest social programs. Or my responsibility to you is not to make sure that you're entertained. That isn't my responsibility as a pastor, to make sure you're entertained. The task that I have is simply stated at the beginning of verse number 12, perfect the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In other words, equip the saints to serve the Lord. That is my responsibility as your pastor. Equip the saints to serve the Lord. I mentioned it on Wednesday night in our Bible study, but there's a dear lady whose husband is suffering. He's in, in hospice at home, and he is suffering, and uh, recently had a surgery, had to be taken in, and then he was brought home again, where she is the primary caregiver for that man. And uh, she is doing it alone for the most part. Um, this week she came into the office and she brought some monies that she wanted to give to help the Berge family. And Nathaniel Berge, who has cancer and stage four, he's a 17-year-old young man. And her heart was for him. And my heart rejoiced at that. My heart was overwhelmed by that. And here she is suffering. Here she is unable to assemble with the congregation of believers. Here's, here she is having gone through this for month after month after month after month, not wanting her husband to depart, to be not wanting to be separated from her husband. And yet at the same time, going through it has to be agonizing. And yet here she is in the midst of her own trial, in the midst of her own suffering, she is loving a brother and sister in Christ, a family, a, a part of the family of God, a Berge, the Berge family, and she's concerned for them. And this dear lady at times has written me notes of encouragement while she herself is suffering. And, and my heart rejoices when I watch you as members of the body of Christ serve one another and love one another and love one another. Who's, what are we talking about when we say one another? We're talking about People who once were lost, but who have been found, who have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, by his grace. We, we still have wicked, godless flesh. We still stumble and fall. And yet I watch each of you individually love one another and encourage one another and be faithful and be examples to one another and forgive one another. Those who were lost, who now are saved, who are being tempted to forsake and walk away. And my heart rejoices. And you see, this, pastors, is our responsibility to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This is our role. It rejoices my heart when I see it done. So equip the saints. Look over to Colossians, would you? It's not far away. Take a right in your Bibles. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Colossians 1 and verse 28, the Apostle Paul speaks of this to the church at Colossae. Colossians 1 and verse 28. I can remember years ago making a hospital visit to an individual. This has happened many times, actually, but one time stands out in my mind. This man was not expected to recover, and when I, I called on him and I I began to talk to him, he began to ask me about members of the church and how they were doing. How's this family doing? How's that family doing? I, I heard that so-and-so is having a surgery. How are they doing? I mean, this man was, he was the one who was going through the heartache and grief. And yet, in his own heartache and grief and suffering, personal suffering, he's thinking of others. I mean, it, it really is remarkable. 
Look at, look at Colossians 1 and verse 28. It says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ. There's that word perfect, mature. So Paul's saying, the Spirit of God is saying through the Apostle Paul, we're preaching, we're warning, we're teaching, we're giving out wisdom, we're teaching the Word of God, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Look over to chapter 4 in Colossians, in verse 12. You're still in Colossians. Look at chapter 4 and verse 12. And here we find a dear uh, saint of God, um, and a saint in the Bible, unlike Catholicism, where you have to die, and then some, there has to be a, a group of people who vote on you to give you sainthood. That is not a biblical way of, of sainthood, okay? Saints are, are all who are saved and are all who are in Christ. So if you are in Christ, you are a saint. And if you're sitting next to your spouse right now, you're thinking, I don't know exactly but uh, no, in Christ, they are a saint. Um, so husbands, you can go home today and say, I'm, I'm a saint. I am. Uh, Colossians 4, in verse 12, look there. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you. He says, hello, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that ye may stand perfect. There's that word again, mature and complete in all the will of God. So this is a wonderful verse, by the way, for maybe to go back and look at and ponder and put yourself in a Epaphras position. And you can think of the, the other saints within the body of Christ, other people who have, who have been saved, but you know who struggle, you know who, who the flesh is pulling at, who maybe are facing temptation or who have fallen or going through trials, or maybe who are everything is going really well in their lives, and they're a little, they're not quite in tune, maybe with the Lord the way they ought to be. And Epaphras here, what, he, what is he doing there in verse number 12? Uh, he's laboring, always he's laboring fervently for, for these believers in prayers, so that why? So that they can grow up and mature in Christ. That is what he's laboring for in prayer. He's desiring this, and, and I bring this to your attention because this idea of God wanting his church to be mature, it's, it ought to be our desires as, as pastors for the church to grow, to mature. But it not, ought not just be our desire for, for Trinity Baptist Church. It's not just our responsibility. I see in Epaphras, this man, uh, a co-laborer of the Apostle Paul, he also is laboring fervently in prayer that the church would grow in maturity. So how, how is this accomplished, this growing up, this maturity? Uh, look back to, to Ephesians chapter 4. How is this accomplished? Well, we, are, we mature uh, through the teaching and preaching of the word of God. You see, trials enough are not alone. Or, or excuse me, trials alone are not enough. Um, we can go through hurt. We can go through agony, but if we don't somehow, and the Spirit of God does this within us, he takes his sword, the Bible calls the Word of God the sword of the Spirit. I like swords, you know, um, they're powerful. The Word of God is a sword. It pierces, right? And, he, and there are times when when the Spirit of God will take this, his sword, even as I'm preaching the Word of God to you, and he takes his word. Has, have you ever experienced this? And he applies it to your heart in a way that I'm not even talking about. Has that ever happened? Or have you ever felt like I'm talking just to you? That's not me. That's the Spirit of God in you taking his sword and applying it to your life in a very specific way. And sometimes, and, and he does it very, very skillfully. He does it in a way that I do not have the ability to, to do. He does it in a way with knowledge his omniscience in a way. I don't have any kind of knowledge that way, but he applies it to your life. And, and that's the word of God. He, he does it to mature us. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, the Bible says, preach the word. Paul talking to a young pastor, thought, thought, thought to be in his late 30s or early 40s. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, 
exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Doctrine. And this is how the church is built. This is how a church grows. This is how individual members of the church grow up and the whole church grows up and matures and is strengthened. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul went on to say, If thou put the brethren, the members of the church, in remembrance of these things, talking about doctrine, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. And so, as pastors, we are commanded to give the church doctrine because that is what it takes to make the church mature. Why why do we gather? Why do we have Sunday school? It's for this reason. This is the purpose. Why do I want my children in Sunday school? I want them under the word of God. They go to a Christian school. I'm thankful for the school. But I want my children with, his, with the church, with the bride of Christ. I want them under the word of God in Sunday school. And I've done this since they were little. I, as an adult, I know they're going to face temptations. I know they're going to face trials. I know they're going to face things that they, they're going to feel to them like they're not going to be able to overcome. I know they're going to face those things. I want that foundation to be laid in their lives. Now, they need to be saved. But then I want the word of God to be taught to them. I want it to be taught by the Sunday school teachers. I appreciate your labor. I love you for loving my children and teaching my children. Or the Awana or Patch Club during Wednesday, in, in summer months and on Wednesdays. Sunday nights, we come back again. The word of God. We are in a battle spiritually. We are in a war, a supernatural battle. And we are caught in the midst of it. And God tells us, and we're seeing it from his word this morning, he wants the church to mature, grow up. It has to happen. If they're left immature, they're going to be tossed to and fro uh, this way and that by every wave of doctrine. They're going to be led here and led there. No, there's got to be some growth. There's got to be some maturity if they're going to stand. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be easy for them or easy for you. Life is not easy. But there's a need to grow in doctrine. Right doctrine is the way that we grow. And I'm commanded to give the church doctrine because that's what's going to make the church mature. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, it says, And the things that thou hast heard among me, uh, heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's discipleship. And there's this constant uh, or this consistent reproducing of mature believers. And in order to do this, it requires that that a pastor study, and Paul said this to Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Jake, uh, last week I, I dusted off the chainsaws. It's been a while. Yours get a lot more work than, used than mine do. But I went out with Lee Swick and my dad, and we cut down a few trees over at the Yorch's house. And... Uh, uh, Mr. Swick, I won't ask you if you were sore, but but I was sore afterward. I mean, I mean, the exercise, the use of the chainsaw hasn't happened in a while. And I was sore and I was sore for days. My dad would call me every day for the couple of days afterwards. And his first question was, how do you feel? And, and I could just see him and his smile on the other end of the phone. You know, just I think he was just trying to expose that about me. But there needs to be an exercising in the word of God. And and we need to be in good shape. We need to be hearing the word of God and the whole counsel of God. And 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 for us as believers, thankfully, we don't often get chainsaws to work out that way. But we all need to be exercised with the word of God, hearing it on a weekly basis. I hope you're taking time in your personal life to take time with God in his word. Read the word of God. I hear about men. I hear about men who who uh, are not necessarily pastors, men who 
a man who owned a, a dairy farm out in eastern Pennsylvania along the Delaware River. Um, I, I've heard about men who work in other areas of employment and they, their, their, their Bibles are worn, the pages are worn because they take time to read it. They read it daily. They read it, they read it like they need it. It's like it's part of their daily, you know, just like they eat physical food for their physical nourishment. They, they go to the word of God. I'm talking about men. Men who recognize that this book is more valuable than gold. And that this book has greater wisdom than any investment tool that maybe we purchase to get information from or, or, or maybe... Uh, any particular news outlet uh, where we can stay up to date with with the news of the world so we know what's going on, so we can be abreast and aware and make good decisions. And um, No, men who go to the Word of God, who grow in the Word of God. Look over, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 4, would you? 1 Timothy chapter 4. God wants his church to be mature, and he uses his word to grow us. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and look at verse 11. Verse 11. I'll read down through verse number 16. He says, These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. In word... In conversation, the way you live your life, in charity, that sacrificial love, that's agape love, in spirit, in faith, by the way you take God at his word, in purity. He says, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Again, he's talking about doctrine, teaching of the word of God. Continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. I mean, this is imperative. This is absolutely necessary. There are souls um, at stake. We think of we think of Russia and Ukraine. We think of lives being lost. We think of war, a war-torn country. We think of cities being devastated, homes gone, businesses gone. Over 3 million people fleeing a country of about 19 million, a country about the size of Texas. The biggest country in Europe. I mean, this is not a small conflict. We think of the seriousness of a war like that. And, and I, I bring that to your attention to remind you to try to emphasize the seriousness of the conflict, the war that we are in. As God's people, Satan as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Specifically tempting you, hunting you, trying to draw you away of your own lust, trying to entice you, trying to bring fear into your lives to to cause you to give up, to tear away at your faith. And how is it that pastors are supposed to shepherd the flock? How is it that a pastor is supposed to lead a church to overcome and be overcomers and follow Christ throughout all of these sort of battles and wars that we face on a daily basis? And the answer is preach the word, teach doctrine. Because ultimately, ultimately, I cannot in any way live my life. I cannot live your life for you. I cannot make you come along. Each one of you are accountable to God for how you live. Each one of you are accountable to God for what you do with his word. I am accountable and the pastors of Trinity Baptist Church are accountable to rightly divide the word of truth, to study the word of God 
so that we're not ashamed before God, to be good workmen. Do I work as hard studying the word of God as a man like Jake works felling trees? Do I work as hard studying the word of God as another man in our church who's a salesman works getting out there, getting up early, selling, etc.? I should. And, and it's, ne- it's necessary because without doctrine, without the teaching of the word of God, the church will not be mature and the church will, the believers will be weak, immature, and more easily, uh, more, more prone to wandering, more easily susceptible to the temptations of the flesh and the attacks of Satan. So the word of God brings healing, it brings maturity, and it brings, it brings unity. Look back to verse 12 again in Ephesians 4. He says, you see the word perfecting there. Um, and it's, it's, right, it's rightly translated, okay, in Ephesians 4, in verse 12, for, for the perfecting of the saints. Katartismos is the Greek word. It refers to the coming together of dislocated limbs. It's the way the Greeks used it. Paul used the word back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10 when he said, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. There was disunity in that church. And that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together. Same word. It perfectly joined together. Here it's translated for the perfecting, the maturing of the saints. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, it's, it's translated joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So perfecting the saints really has the idea of three things. It means mending the lives of broken believers. Mending people who are broken. We do that through the teaching and preaching of the word of God. If we as pastors ever begin to think that we can mend people, then we have taken our eyes off of the Lord. We are not walking by faith in what God can do in his word. And we are thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. I cannot mend you, but I can preach the word of God that can. For the perfecting of the saints. And it has the idea of the mending of believers. Um, It also has the idea uh, or I should I should say this before I go on. Back in Mark chapter one, I believe the same word is found where Jesus comes across that some of his disciples, he's going to call them and they are found mending their nets. So it's the same same word. You got you got a net. It's got a big hole in it. You're not going to throw it back into the Sea of Galilee and try to bring in more fish with a hole in the net. They're going to sit down. And they did. And they were mending their nets. Same word. OK, same word. So perfecting. He gave some apostles and prophets and pastors, teachers, evangelists for the mending of the lives of people, perfecting of the saints, maturity. And so that's the second part. The the perfecting of the saints means mending broken lives. It means bringing individual believers to maturity. Two, number three, welding together all those individual believers into one harmonious group. That sounds easy, doesn't it? Let's take people from all different backgrounds. Let's take people from all different walks of life. Let's take men and women. Let's take rich and poor. Let's take young and old. And let's put them all into one group, one assembly of believers. And Pastor Ferguson, mend them all together into one harmonious group. And that's why Paul keeps telling Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the gospel. Preach Christ. Preach the word. And what happens is the spirit of God within each individual person who has been saved from sin, from death and hell to come, forgiven of sins, as we come week after week, time after time, and we submit ourselves to the word of God and the spirit of God who's working within us. We talked about this last week. We are, we, we, he brings us in tune with Christ. Each one of us, he brings one one sister to be in tune with another teenager and another teenager to be in tune with a, 
uh, an elderly gentleman in the church and a pastor and a deacon. And, and, and this man, well, do you know his past? Do you know her past? We've been forgiven. He's bringing us all harmoniously into one glorious body that he calls the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is amazing. It's really impossible. It's something that God only can do. So perfecting the saints is mending broken believers. It's bringing individual believers in maturity. It's welding together all of these individual believers into one harmonious group. The idea of bringing together dislocated limbs, it's it's a miracle. So God wants his church to be mature. Number two, God wants his church to do the work of the ministry. Look at verse 12 now, the middle part. So he's given these gifts, okay? Apostles and prophets no longer in use. Pastors, evangelists, pastors and teachers still in use for the perfecting of the saints. That is some, this is something we ought to long for. It's what God wants. And then he says, for the work of the ministry. So number two, God wants his church to do the work of the ministry. There's a mindset today that says, um, the work of the ministry is for pastors to do. Or the work of the ministry is for missionaries to do. Or the work of the ministry is for evangelists to do. But what does the Bible say? He gave evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. God wants you as a child of God to do the work of the ministry. God wants to use you to do the work of the ministry, to do his ministry, to be his ambassador, to be his servant. He wants to entrust, and he has to entrust you, each one of you, to accomplish what he desires to be accomplished. That, it, it, how, how, what is your response to that? Do you feel honored by that? Maybe overwhelmed? I don't know. I think you picked the wrong person. Maybe you feel a little overwhelmed. Do you feel honored by that, though? I mean, think of where you used to be. In Ephesians, he talked about that. You were an alien from God by wicked works. You deserve death and hell for all of eternity. And he saved you. And now he has chosen you. And he's given pastors, he's given evangelists, to help you grow and mature you through the preaching and teaching of the word of God, that you would be equipped by the word of God and the spirit of God living inside of you to do the ministry that God has chosen for you to do. And so a, a question for us this morning could be this. Well, what, what does he want me to do? And am I doing it? Am I doing? Do I know what he wants me to do? And am I doing what he wants me to do? Now, Look at the word ministry there. What is the work of the ministry? Okay, the Bible clearly teaches here that every one of us are to do the work of the ministry. So you say, well, that's going to be a one long sermon on Sunday if we all have to preach. No, no, he didn't say we all had to preach a sermon. Or does that mean I have to go to Africa? Not unless God calls you and, and, move, and takes you there. If he leads you there, then you need to go. I would be sad to see you go. I would be, and, you know, when Pastor Scott was getting ready to take you all to the Dominican, I stuck my head in the room and I said, make sure you bring um, all of these people back. <laughs> okay. I, want, I, don't, I don't want to lose any of you. Okay. But if God leads you somewhere, then you need to go there. But let's assume for a moment that you are exactly where God wants you to be, in the workplace where God wants you to be, where he has placed you. Let's assume for a moment that that you're you're supposed to be living in Genesee County. I don't, I don't. I think we do have a couple of members who don't live in Genesee County. Most of us do. But assuming that you are where you're supposed to be on the globe, um, and you're working where you ought to be, are you doing the work of the ministry where God has placed you? And so, what is the work of the ministry? And I'm going to 
give you a very simple answer to that question. What is the work of the ministry? The work of the ministry is serving God each day. Okay? Serving. If you go out to eat this afternoon, the waitress or, or waiter, server is going to come up and what would you like to drink? What can I get for you to drink today? What's, what's looking good to you today? And whatever you tell them, they will do everything in their power to give you what you have asked of them. You can drink six cherry Cokes. They will continue to bring you cherry Coke after cherry Coke until you literally float out the door. Okay, I mean, they're going to give you everything that you they can possibly, within their power, they're going to give it to you because they are serving. They're your server. They're serving you. We're God's servants. What is he asking of us? And so I, I give you this, and maybe it's, maybe it's a bit generic, but serving God every day in the workplace, in the home. What is God's will for you in your marriage? Are you his servant in your marriage? What is God's will for you in, uh, in, in, in training up your children? Are you doing it according to his will? Are you his servant when it comes to your children? Are you his servant in the workplace? Are you being honest? Are you doing whatsoever you do as unto the Lord and not unto men? Heartily is the word that is used there in Colossians chapter 3. Heartily, with all that you have. And the context of Colossians 3 is, as I, I think I might have mentioned this recently, but it, he's talking about whether you're, you're bondman, whether you're a slave, or whether you're a free man. You do it as unto the Lord. Say, well, I'm not getting paid enough. Well... Let the Lord sort that out. There might be some recourse for you to talk to an employer or uh, somebody who's over you in some way. Okay, there may be some recourse for you to take. But until that's changed, or if it's never changed, serve, do that job like you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So are you doing, are you serving the Lord Jesus Christ each day? Back in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 6, there was some murmuring amongst the widows um, because not all of the widows were being taken care of the same. And the Bible makes a distinction about a widow. Uh, a widow indeed is a widow who has nobody to care for her. No children, no relatives to care for her. Um, we have ladies in our church who are widowed in the sense of their husbands have gone on to be with the Lord or no longer living in this life. And some have children or grandchildren, relatives who can help with things, and, and some have more help than others do. But a widow indeed is someone who has no one to care for them. And in Acts chapter 6, early on in the church, um, we have widows who were complaining because they were not being cared for. They were going without. And in a sense, the government was not there to take care of them. They had nothing. And there's some complaining. And so the apostles go to the church and they say it's not re reasonable for us to leave the study of the word of God, the preaching of the word of God in prayer to serve tables. So they say, call out from among the church seven men who are godly, who have a great wisdom. Call out from you seven men in the church who are godly, who are honest, who have character and integrity. And we call those men deacons. And they do, and there's a list of men, and the church recognized. They could tell who these men were, and they called them out, and these men served the Lord. And the Bible actually says that in Acts chapter 6, that the word of God was blessed, and that people ended up trusting Christ as their personal Savior when the church was, when these men were serving the Lord, taking care of widows. The apostles were preaching and teaching the word, giving themselves to prayer, and God blessed the church, and people actually were saved and added to the church. Actually says some were priests that were saved. But it came about when members of the church were serving the Lord. We looked at Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 about those gifts that God has given. Are you using the gift that God has given to you? Are you using it to serve the body, to serve people who have been saved, who could be discouraged, 
but they need to be loved. They need to be served. They need to be told the truth. They need you to be faithful. They, they need to be encouraged. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, the Bible says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It's possible for us to be a poor steward of the gift that God has given to us. And I believe that every Christian should be serving the body of Christ every week. Jesus did not give you a gift. He did not give me a gift so we could hoard that gift. He wants us to serve. And when saints are equipped, they will do the work of the ministry. A man by the name of McDonald wrote this. He wrote, quote, the, distinct, the distinction between clergy, that's not a biblical term, by the way. It's a good Catholic term. The distinction between clergy and laity is unscriptural and perhaps the greatest single hindrance to the spread of the gospel. I believe he's accurate. And what is the problem with the distinction between clergy and laity? And I'm giving you a hint. It's my arm. The Bible doesn't make a distinction. It is a high calling to be called to pastor. It is. But he calls you as individuals the priesthood of the believers. You're, you're priests. You have access into the Holy of Holies to speak to your father, to commune with him. Laity is not a biblical term. And so this distinction that we make, that I, I say we, and I don't know who I'm talking about when I say we, this distinction that is made between, between clergy and laity, it presents this situation where, you know what, I'll let them do the work of the ministry. And, and, and what we're seeing in Ephesians chapter 4 is, no, God's given me a pastor. He's given us evangelists. He teaches us his word. He's growing and he's maturing us. He wants me to grow and be, he, to be mended. He wants me to grow in maturity. He wants me to do the work of the ministry. He wants me to serve him each day as a dad. He wants me to serve him, to do his will in my family. He wants me as a husband to do his will in my marriage and lead my wife to do his will in our family. He wants me to love him and not love this world. But I know that there's something in me that's wanting to love this world. And know, you know, But I'm going to respond to the word of God and right doctrine and the Holy Spirit within me. And our response ought to be, I'm going to serve the Lord. He wants his church to be mature. He wants his church to do the work of the ministry. And he wants his church to be built up. Look at the end of verse 12 and we'll be done. He says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And the word edifying means to build up the body. For the body of Christ, the church, to be built up. He wants us to build one another up, to strengthen one another. See, that common misconception that the work of the ministry is for pastors alone, it is, it is not accurate. It is not biblical. My role may be different in some ways than your role, but you have been gifted by the Lord. You have been added to this assembly of believers. It is This church will not function the way it ought to function without you fulfilling your ministry within your role within the church. You are absolutely necessary. The genius of the New Testament is that every saint is set apart by God to serve God. Every believer is a servant. In that sense, every believer is a minister bought by the blood of Christ, bound by the love of God. And every Christian is a full-time servant. And I say that, Christian, a Christ follower, a little Christ is a full-time servant. We don't, always, we don't all always follow and serve the Lord. Sometimes we serve ourselves and we disobey the Spirit of God within us. But when you are serving and saying yes to the Spirit of Christ, you are a full-time servant of God. And there are some of you in this room, you're retired. You no longer, uh, you retired from a, uh, a position of employment. Or maybe uh, we, have a couple, we have a couple of men in this church in the service this morning who, are, who used to pastor. And um, 
they're at a point in their lives where they would say, I can no longer carry that weight. I can no longer pastor the way I used to pastor. And it's still in their hearts and eyes to do it. But you know what? Whether you used to pastor in the past or whether you used to be employed full time in a secular role or whether you're not yet old enough to be out of high school, you can be a full time servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to serve him? Do you want his will to be done? Do you want to give your life to him? Do you want to say, have your way in me, Lord? I want to be used for the edifying of the body of Christ. I want to be used that way. In Matthew 16 and verse 18, Jesus said this. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The Lord will build his church. Pastors, our responsibility is to feed the flock preach and teach right doctrine, edify the saints so that the saints can be equipped by the word of God, by the spirit of God, through the trials of life, that they will grow and be mature. That doesn't come easily. That they will do the work of the ministry, serve Christ each day where God has them, so that the church will be edified. And it, the word means build up. And it has the idea of two. Remember the old barn raisings? No one has experienced it. But maybe you've seen pictures of that. Where the whole town comes together and they have a barn raising. And they start with nothing. By the end of the day, it's all up. Boom. And that's the idea of building the church. How does, how, where do we start? We start with the word of God. Receiving the word of God. And God will build his church. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with your heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around, please. How many of you would say with a blue?